This morning we're going to look at a passage that is powerful. Not that scriptures aren't powerful, but this one has been particularly powerful in my life. So let me read the passage, then I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to ask you three questions. Matthew chapter 7. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Let's pray. Father, we come to you because you have invited us because you have gathered us, because you have done that work of redemption that has brought us here. I pray that you would give us grace this morning as we listen and as we understand that you would prepare us to act. Lord, we do not come simply to listen and go home. We come to meet with you. We come to hear of your love for us and to express our love in return to you. (laughs) Let the little ones come to me. The careful arms of a father. Father, we do thank you that you are a God who cares for us in the midst of the realities of life. We can come to you as we've just seen a child screaming for its father. We pray, Lord, that you would answer, that you would comfort, that you would strengthen and that our response would be to love you with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind. Please work that reality in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that I'm very familiar with is how we hear the things that we hear. So so I'm going to ask you questions in a moment that will hopefully help you to focus on the message you hear from this passage. And I want you to give first response. I I, I want you not to spend a great deal of time thinking about it, because what I'm really trying to do is help you to understand the filter with which you hear and know where you are in understanding this passage. So when you hear this passage, what message do you hear? The first is... If I don't want my life to fall apart, I had better do what Jesus tells me to do. Build your house on the rock. Listen and obey. The second question, do you hear this meaning, if I want to live a good life, a satisfying life, 
Jesus shows me how. A third particular possibility is loving Jesus is the reality that shapes who I am and how I live. How do you filter this passage? What do you hear God saying to you? In the first, my focus is to escape bad things. If my life is not going to fall apart, I'd better do what Jesus tells me to do. In the second, my focus is to pursue a good life. If I want a good and satisfying life, Jesus shows me how. Thirdly, I'm focusing on Jesus. I'm building on the foundation. I am, as the, the quotes in the front of the bulletin this morning point out, recognizing that Jesus is the rock, that the reality of life is, if I love him, I will obey him. Scripture is full of teaching what our relationship with the Lord is based upon. In this passage, what we're really looking at is, what is my foundation? What is it my life is built upon? Because the house is my life. Any of you who have dealt with issues in your foundation in your home, whether it's a cracked foundation, whether it's a leaking foundation, whatever it may be, You understand how important a foundation is for the structure of your home. Just as an example, we have done a renovation, and those of you who know that we've been in this process, they actually took our porta potty away this week. Yeah, we're excited. There are still a couple of things yet to be done, but, but in the process of this renovation, we removed part of a wall, and there was a post that was holding a beam. When the crew went underneath, the floor to look at and see where the footers needed to be secured or strengthened, they realized that this beam, which had been built in the first of three phases of our home, was sitting on plywood. There was a foundation underneath it, but between the plywood and the foundation, there was this open space. That beam held up our second story. The post supported the beam. I am aware that the foundation upon which I build is very important. The foundational truth for us goes back to Deuteronomy 6, in which the great command is spoken. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might, and all your mind. In in Jesus' teaching, the night that he's betrayed, he's just instituted the Lord's Supper, which we'll celebrate later in the service. But as he's walking with the disciples from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane, he speaks to them about love. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Now, again, there's a filter that we have as we hear that passage. When you hear those two thoughts, love and obey, where do you focus? 
Is your first thought, I have to obey? Or is your first thought, I'm free to love Jesus? Our response to love Jesus is the foundation upon which our life is built. In the next chapter in John, Jesus talks about being the vine from which the branches gain life. I'm the vine, you are the branches. The fruit that the branches bear comes because they're part of the vine. As we're looking at building on the rock, and as we're looking at the idea of how we live, the foundational thought is to love Jesus. Loving Jesus means I live for him, and I obey. Because love is not lip service. Love is a heart commitment. So as we look at this particular passage, and it talks about everyone then who hears these words of mine, Jesus is referring to a specific teaching. He's referring to the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount. If you want to love Jesus, listen. Engage. One of the things that Jesus is clear to help us to see is how we relate to each other. One of the things that has become incredibly clear to me as I deal with people and interactions with other people is we lose sight of the fact, the foundational fact, that every individual with whom you interact is an image bearer. And you might assent to that. You might think, well, of course, in Genesis, God said, let us make man in our image. And yet, we are in a constant onslaught where we are being exposed to the practices of dealing with people as objects. And as we're going to look at the Sermon on the Mount in a moment, it is incredibly easy to minimize the teaching because I am not thinking of image bearers who deserve dignity and respect. I'm thinking of problems. I'm thinking of opportunities. I'm thinking of people as tools. That's at the heart of the broken relationships we face day to day here. And it might be easier to think of the people you like as an image bearer, although at times they're going to annoy you. At times they're going to be in your way. They will be barriers. Or they might help you and forward your purposes, help you to do what you want to do. They will bless you. But they are more than a barrier, and they're more than a blessing. They are people who bear the image of God and are complete individuals who deserve dignity and respect. But once we get beyond those that we like and we deal with those that we differ with, those who express hatred for us, those who attack us, 
those who we could categorize as evil, they too are image bearers. We've been going through a little over a week of experiencing Russia's invasion into Ukraine. There have been multiple times where people have equaled Putin in this century with Hitler in the last. Both are evil. But they're also image bearers. And Jesus speaks in the Sermon on the Mount about how to deal with your enemies. We're going to get to that. But if we lose sight of the fact that everyone is an image bearer, what we're about to talk about becomes incredibly difficult to follow. So the question is, how do I live? How do I live wisely? What does Jesus teach? What are the things he's telling me that I must obey? Oh, it's a Sermon on the Mount. One of the things that creates a real problem for us as we begin to think about things in a general sense. Do I love you? Well, of course I love you. I'm called to love you. I'm told to love you. I love you. What does that love mean? Does it mean I'll be the dad who goes and catches my child who's crying for my attention and take them back? Or even stay with them? Does the love mean I'll sacrifice? Does the love mean I'll go out on a cold, rainy day to pick something that you left in the car? Does it mean I'll get up at 2 in the morning because you need me? Does it mean I'll act on the images I see of the horror taking place across the world? I want you to think of an image, a circle, The circle is a representation of the general experience of our life. The outside of the circle is outside the circle. For the Christian, we have life in Christ, and we have sin. Now, what I want you to think about is your normal inclination to live towards the edge. I know so many people who would think, let me get away with as much as I can and still be inside the circle. Kids, this is you. Annalie, I told you I'd look at you today. As a kid, I loved the idea of how do I do everything I want to do without really getting in trouble? Mom, I didn't. Mom's sitting in the audience. But I came really close. Yes, I cleaned my room. I spent three minutes throwing things in the closet. Or do I live towards the center, which is Christ? Is is my orientation in life to draw close to Jesus, to listen, to obey, and to express my love for him? Is my orientation to try and find all of the ways I can find to have my fun and still be within the circle? Only you can answer that. But I want to take us through what Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount. And I want you to think 
about what Jesus is saying to you on these issues. The Beatitudes are a wonderful generalization. They're a really good way to think, but they're general. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And it goes on. But again, we can't live our love for Jesus in generalities. There is no place for traction. There is no place for conviction. There is no place for growth. It's just a general statement. It's a feel-good viewpoint. But Jesus is specific. So let's look at what he says in the Beatitudes, I mean, in, in, in the sermon. He says he came to fulfill the law. Not one part of the law will be set aside. And he moves into anger, and he says, you've heard it said that you shall not commit murder. But then he goes to the heart and speaks to the specifics of hatred. And he says, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable for judgment. Can you tell me this week what your battle with anger was? Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and obeys them. And he's telling us that anger is destructive. Anger is anti-Christian. Let's go to another one. Lust. He says, you've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, everyone who looks lustfully at a woman commits adultery with her in his heart. In his time, he's talking about the male focus, but this is not just exclusively a male issue. How do you approach this particular issue? How do you approach the idea of pleasure physically? I know for a fact that within this audience, there's a large number of people who have either historically or still today continue to struggle with lust. We don't talk about it. We try to overlook it. This is one of those wonderful places where generality is my friend because I can struggle with these things and feel good about myself. But this is the foundation. This is the rock upon which we build our lives. If we want to live wisely and we want to love Jesus, we will battle these sins. Retaliation. How do you deal with somebody who has harmed you? How do you deal with hurt? Treatment of enemies. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Jesus calls us to love image bearers. We cannot put our enemies in the category of the other. We can't think of us and them. When you think of what's going on in Russia right now, which, by the way, is a very safe 
experience of enemy? Because it's far away. There's no particular face to that title. But do you pray? Do you pray for the Russians who are invading Ukraine to do what some Russians have done and stop, put down their weapons? Do you pray for Putin? Do you ask God to bring him to a conversion, to recognize the heinousness of his sin and stop? It's much easier to hate him. It's much easier to pray for his removal. It's much easier to think that maybe the solution to this problem is that the oligarchs put out money and offer a solution to eliminate Putin. But that's not our calling. That is not the way Jesus is looking at this. Sharing with the needy. Economic care for image bearers. It's not hard to see who needs help. We are massing the world to try and help the refugees from Afghanistan, from Ukraine. What do we do about those from Central and Southern America? How do we deal with the widow, the orphan, and the stranger at the gate? Trusting God, being anxious. I want to say that anxiety is not sin. Anxiety is fear. But it is a state we are told not to settle for. We are called to fight our fear because our fear is the fruit of not seeing Jesus clearly. Not believing that he loves us. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Do I recognize how much I am loved by God? What I'm called to do in all of the Sermon on the Mount, what I'm called to do is live with integrity based, founded upon the recognition of God's love for me. I want to give you a place to see that love even more powerfully than the Sermon on the Mount. When you struggle with the trials that you endure, when you struggle with feeling abandoned, when you go through circumstances that leave you wondering, does God really love me? I want you to go back to Gethsemane. Because typically in my experience and in the experience of those that I've talked to, when I'm struggling with whether or not God loves me, I'm struggling with a God who doesn't experience what I experience, 
who isn't bound by my limitations, and who has not got a sense of what I'm going through. But we can't look at Gethsemane and believe that that in any way represents Christ. Because at Gethsemane, he's instituted the Lord's Supper, he's talking about love, he's talking about abiding in him, he's talking about and praying to the Father for the care that we need to receive, and then he goes to Gethsemane, where what he faces is abandonment, rejection, Loneliness. We we need to understand that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, and he has never experienced loneliness ever. The Father and the Spirit are always with him. In all of his ministry, he talks about the place of the Father in his life. He leaves the crowds to go spend time with the Father. There is a comfort, a solace, an identity in his relationship with the Father and the Spirit. But at Gethsemane, what causes his agony is the reality of what's coming. He will be forsaken. He will be alone. And it's not just isolation. It's condemnation. It's not just the Father and the Spirit walk off and leave him alone for a period of time, and he has to just pass that time on his own. He is bearing the wrath of God because he has placed himself in our place and taken upon himself our sin for which the Father and the Spirit must pour out judgment. They hate our sin in the person of Christ. Something we'll never be able to grasp, something we'll never be able to understand, but it is the most poignant expression of God's love for us, and not just Jesus' love. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He is the Father who doesn't grab his child and bring comfort and solace. He is the Father who pours out wrath on his Son, who sends him to a state of isolation, the place of hell, an absence of being with God, even though he's God. And Jesus experiences that in anticipation in Gethsemane and in full fruition in Calvary for you. You cannot see Jesus clearly and believe he doesn't care. You cannot. So how do I know if this is what I'm doing? How do I know if I'm obeying? Well... We look at what we're called to do. We look at whether or not we're doing it. The Spirit brings conviction and lovingly challenges us to more. But one particular thing that this passage draws us to is the storms. How do I respond 
when the storms hit. The ultimate storm that we're going to face is that of judgment. House stands, house doesn't stand. Am I in Christ? Am I right? Am I redeemed? Or am I not? But there are many storms that face us in this life. And when you face those storms, do you see them as abandonment? Do you see them as something you're called to face in your own strength? Are you busy trying to prop up the house? Are you busy trying to make sure that the house doesn't fall? It's either on the foundation or it's not. Do you see the storm as a mid-course correction? Jesus, what are you doing in my life? Why am I facing these experiences? On the basis of Gethsemane, you cannot be doing this to harm me. On the basis of Calvary, you cannot be using this as a punishment. All punishment has been taken by Jesus on the cross. Discipline happens, but that's what a mid-course correction is. It is a statement of, there's dry rot. I need to help you to grow. I need to help you to recognize whether you're on the foundation of the rock or not. When we face those storms and we draw away from God, we're not on the rock. What we need to do is recognize in those moments of trial and difficulty that all the more we need the rock. All the more we need to depend upon the foundation that Jesus is for our lives. When I compare the teachings Jesus has given and how I'm living, does he smile at the way I'm living? Or is he saying, let's have a conversation? Let me help you to see. Let's make some home improvements. Let's dig those posts deeper and establish them on the rock. So how do we evaluate whether we're doing the things Jesus calls us to do? Well, personal reflection is a part of it. I need to be examining my life. I need to be looking at how I'm living. I need to be looking at my responses, and only I will know them. We can put on brave faces. We can pull off a great mask. We're about to take our masks off. We'll get to see what those faces have been doing in the time we've been wearing them. We won't be simply relying upon eyes to try and figure out how somebody else is doing. But we need to take off our masks to ourselves. Secondly, invite the Spirit to convict. Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's a hurtful way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Thirdly, We need to invite others in. We need to be known and to know. Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10. Two are better than one, for they have a good return for their labor. We need to invite others in to challenge us. But to be honest... Those we invite in need to be people who will care for us. We need to be the kind of people who will care for others. 
This is not a foolish, let me open myself up and give you opportunity to slap me down. This is, I need your help. People I trust. Having said all this, we cannot accomplish this. We cannot accomplish this. We can try with all that we are. But we don't have the resources that are reserved to do that. That's why the foundation is so important. What I need to do is trust that God is at work and that God loves me and that God is sanctifying me and God is growing me and that God will give me the ability to do the things he calls me to do. If I try to do this in my own strength, I go back to John 14, 15. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And what I do is I focus on keep my commandments. I've got to show that I love Jesus. I've got to staple fruit on that tree. I, I know that it looks like a fir, but it's got to be an apple, so I'm going to put apples on the fir. It's still a fir tree. It just has apples stapled to it. I am the vine, you are the branches. Where we go with this is we look at Christ. We recognize how profoundly he loves us. We rest in his strength. Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my burden is light. It's light because he's pulling We partner with him, but we need him. My hope, my goal in preaching this passage is that we will see Jesus more clearly. That in seeing him more clearly, we'll see ourselves more clearly and we'll recognize what it looks like to live in his strength. That's why we come to the table. This table is not just bread and drink. This table is the grace of God bestowed on his people to strengthen us to live the lives that we're called to live in the coming week. We take this weekly not because it's a great way to socialize, not because it's a fun thing to do. We take this because it is a spiritual feeding. We need it. Please don't come to this table because you think you've got your act together. Please come because you need the grace of Christ and you need his strength to face this week. We live in the power of the gospel, in the love of Jesus, and we do what he calls and empowers us to do. We build on the rock. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm reminded of Romans 12, where I'm asked and commanded to present myself, my body, as a living sacrifice. It would be so easy if this was a one-time, give myself, and it's done, and I stay, but I'm a living sacrifice, and I get up off that altar. So I pray that you would help me to see Jesus more clearly than I have, that you would help my brothers and sisters to see Jesus in ways that flood us with love. As we spoke in confession on the basis of your 
amazing love for us. We can freely see and battle our sin and respond to you in the love you call us to have for you. On the basis of that love, you demonstrate your power to care for us. And so we pray, Lord, give us your power. First and foremost, by giving us the desire and the ability to love you. And out of that love, I pray that our lives would demonstrate that love in obedience. And that we would stand because we're on the foundation of the rock. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.